chapter 2. Father, we thank you again for the word that we've already heard. We pray, Father, that you would give us now ears to hear again. And Father, uh, to the praise and honor of your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Look with me at Colossians 2, verse 16. Stephen, turn this down just a tick. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I'm, I, w- I want to use that today. This is our second service. I usually try to do some more teachy thing, and I'll get back in this text. I'll, start, I'll be first up for the next two months or so. You remember in verses 6 through 15, we've discovered that our salvation in Christ is complete. Need anything else, we are complete in Him. We find that, that our forgiveness is complete. You don't need to add to it. You don't, you don't need to do anything else. You don't need to do penance. Once we ask the Lord for forgiveness, He forgives us our sins completely. And then lastly, we find in verse 15 that the victory over Satan is complete. We are victorious in the end. It may not look like right now we're victorious, but we win in the end. We are The Lord Jesus Christ is victorious. He is coming again. But Satan's authority over us as lost people has been broken. We no longer belong to him. Now we belong to the Lord. And Paul turns, verse 16, to get to the point that he's been driving at, but he had to lay doctrine down first, is then therefore let no one pass judgment. And we are bad about this. We're bad about judging people based on some standard that may be based upon the Scripture, but we, we view people through the lens of, of, well, they're not righteous because. Okay. And that could be, I mean, years ago, it was a beard. Men, men were, I don't know what they did with Jesus, but, right. you know, you know. Preachers didn't have beards. I mean, I'd be thrown out, you know. Okay? Uh, dresses on women were mandatory. If you wore pants, you were ungodly. Or going to movies, or now some kind of Bible, or whatever, and it's, it's causing division. And it causes us to judge. And Paul's point is here, let nobody judge you based upon these things of festivals or new moons or food or drink. We'll get to defining those next week. But The backdrop of this, I, I want to back out of this text a minute to look at our position in Christ through the lens that we've been adopted. I was known, so the things I, I couldn't do because of the name that I bore. you're a believer God's adopted you you're his with all the warts the temper and the ability and the inability we, we didn't know all that but we didn't know all that we knew they would come with imperfections it didn't make any difference we set our love on them Yet God knew about you, about me. And He set His love on you in spite of all that. How dare you think 
you have to keep it. How dare you and me turn to some legalistic way of thinking that thinks that I must do this. If I'm going to keep God happy, here's the list of do's and don'ts, and I'm going to judge everybody based on these standards. This is what's happening. This is what's going on in Colossae. Or those that are coming in say, Christ is good. That's good. That gets you in the door. But to stay in the room, to stay in the house, to say you've got to do these things. And only people that do these things actually are in the house. That's the way we end up putting it. And so only, only people who preach out of this Bible or only people that go to this church or only people that don't wear pants or whatever it is, that's the only way you stay in. How dare we add to the burden of people My pastor friend Mike and I were at MacArthur's for a shepherd's conference. John Piper was preaching. And we got late coming back, and so we had to sit in the gym. Big old closed circuit television. We're sitting in the back, and young people start piling in. Most of them in shorts flip-flops, long hair, tattoos, everything you're not supposed to have. Mike sat in the back. Thought this is going to be a zoo in here. They ain't going to sing. They're going to be talking. They're going to be walking around. First thing we noticed that when they got up to sing, everybody stood and sang. The gymnasium, the auditorium holds about 3,000. gymnasium holds another 1,000. If you'd have been walking by, you'd have thought the service was happening in the gym. And when Piper stood to preach, those young people with all their long hair, tattoos, flip-flops, shorts, opened their Bibles up. Start taking notes. I looked over at Mike. Tears were streaming down his face. I asked him later what's going on. He said, I was confessing to the Lord yeah. that I judged people yeah. based on appearance and not upon Christ. I don't care how anybody comes in here. As long as they got some clothes on, it's good. <laughs> we want clothes. Clothes are good. I've said this before. You notice Melody is in her dress on Sunday. That's her and her conscience. She was raised in a stricter home. and It lightened up later on, but for her, she, her conviction, she never put it on you, and don't you dare point to somebody else say you need to be dressing like that it's not any of their business we don't judge based on but that's her conscience in that area your conscience may be different you, you may be free to wear pants some of you are it's great it's wonderful it's a comparison to the meat offered to idols isn't it yes. turn to 1 Corinthians with me I don't even know where I am in my notes. Today was a disaster, by the way. Uh, 
I was awake until one one thirty. Couldn't sleep and uh, set my alarm to go off at four fifteen, four thirty and four forty five because, like you, I like the snooze part. <laughs> but it was on my phone. It's my phone is near me, and they did a update last oh, night. Yeah. How many of you got the update last night? It's wonderful. You know what it did? It cleared all my alarms. So when I rolled over, it was seven a.m. And for me to start writing takes an hour and a half for me to get the pain to stop so that I can actually read my own handwriting. I didn't have that option, so I have no clue what this stuff is in the back back here because I can't read it. But we'll do something with it. 1 Corinthians, where are we, Harry? 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that this, that all of, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If someone imagines that he knows something and he does not yet know as he ought to know, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol is of no real existence. In other words, it, it's nothing there. It's a, sti- it's a block of wood. It's a piece of stone. That's all it is. Sort of, sort of like Elijah on top of Mount Carmel. And when he says, yell louder, he must be asleep. You know, he must be on vacation. You know, keep, keep yelling louder. No, nobody's there. It's a problem. Nobody's answering. There's nobody there. He's, there's nothing there. And there is no God but one. You scream all you want. There's only one God. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, and indeed there is many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist. Our Lord Jesus, through whom all things are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former associations with idols, eat food as really offered to idols, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not condemn us, uh, commend us to God. We are not worse off if we do not eat it or better off if we do. In other words, the food's neutral. You, they've offered it to nothing and to nobody. God made the meat. Eat the meat. It's, it's okay. But, if it bothers your conscience, don't do that. Yeah, why? This is New York City of the time. This is Corinth. It's now miles from the shoreline because silt has filled it up so much and it, there's just ruins there now. But in that day, it was a mixture of, you're talking about a mixture of cultures that was flooded in there. And Paul's there preaching the gospel and the gospel spreads. People are, people are being saved. And some have just come to the city. They may be Jew, they may be Greek, they may Gentile, whoever. And they come to the city. Maybe it been called up some in the stuff that's gone on, but many of them not. And what the idol place did was they offered the meat and said, hey, why don't we sell this stuff? It's good stuff. It's the best stuff. It's the prime stuff. Let's put a meat market, and let's call it Shambles Meat Market, and people can buy the meat. It's offered to idols here. And again, idols nothing, God's nothing, but God's made to meat, didn't You come in, you don't have any commission. You weren't caught up in all that. You come to Christ and... All you're after is good T-bone. That's all you're after. Where's the best T-bone? Shambles meat market. So you go buy it. That's what he's talking about. Verse 9, take care that these rights of yours do not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. 
So you did have people in the church who did grow up under that shadow. They grew up in that system. And God delivered them. And they probably had parents that were still in it. Or children that were still in it. Or brothers and sisters that were still in it. And they did not view that as the great meat market. They viewed it as a place that is a semblance of, of legalism or, or false religion, is a better word. Okay. And it bothered them that you would, why would you do that? And Paul calls them, here's the interesting, Paul calls those who don't eat the meat, what does he call them? He calls them weaker. Back out of this a minute, go back to the pants. I'll say this in love, sweetheart. <laughs> Dresses, pants, who's the weaker person? She is. She is. That's okay. It's fine. That's what Paul's saying here in this text. If you don't want it, that's great. But you understand that that guy's got a freedom you don't have. I'm telling you the meat's nothing, or the idol's nothing, the God's nothing. But if it still bothers your conscience, don't, don't do it. But understand, you're the weaker person in this. It bothers your conscience. If anyone sees you who has knowledge of eating in an idol temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother from whom Christ died... What should limit your liberty? Your brother. Yes. Yes. Your brother or sister. You don't want to offend anybody. You don't, you don't, want, to, you don't want to do that. I knew a guy that um, Lord saved him out of his, his life was beer, beer halls, pool halls, and that's how God saved him. He saved him out of all that. He viewed a pool table as a representation of his old life. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have one in his house if he wouldn't touch one. So you invite him over. Let's say you got a pool. Anybody got a pool table in there? You ready to go? Yeah. Okay. All right. So you invite him over to your house. You didn't know that. He comes over to the house. Now what's he supposed to say? Paul directs that. You don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And you and your idiots to me, hey, you want to place a pool? He needs to say, I can't. And he shares why. Yes. And immediately, what should be the response? Oh, brother, man, let's go in this other room. Let's, yeah. let's, let's, go, yeah. let's go over here. You understand that, hey, I don't want to put anything in front of him that's going to offend him because my liberty... Although I can play the pool. I love playing pool. I can play pool. That's good. I wasn't in the, board, I wasn't in the pool hall. There's nothing, there's nothing evil about it. I don't know how, many, how many of you grew up, you can't have playing cards in your house? They were evil. They represented evil. My dad finally said, mm, it's just a card. If cards, if you're going to group cards, you've got to group Uno in that. And I would actually like to see Uno. Kept out of people's house. It's a horrible game. Okay, but if you're going to land on pool stuff or card stuff, land on all of it. You can't. But he said, listen, verse 12, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience, which is weak, you, 
You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll eat no meat. Lest I make my brother stumble. See, the, 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 not my liberties at, at here, but the, 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 the testimony and the cause that it's going to cause upon someone else. Now, look over at chapter 10. Paul comes back to this issue. He's talking about verse 14, flee idolatry. But look at verse, um, verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that the idol is anything? No. I'm simply imply what pagan sacrifice I offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. So in reality, what was Paul saying to you about the meat offered to idols? Don't eat it. Don't eat it just because of its association. You don't want to fund that stuff. You separate from it. That's fine. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You provoke the Lord to jealousy. Are you stronger than Him? All things are lawful, verse 23, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no, not let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat without raising questions. Wait, I thought you said we shouldn't be eating. But some don't have that. They didn't come from that background. Paul's trying to add to their conscience a little bit, a little bit more information. You take that and you go, you know what, I'm still just eating a hamburger. I'm still just eating a mo Well then, right, whatever is sold in the meat market without raising questions on the ground of conscience. You go to somebody's house, don't ask them where the meat came from. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It's His. Meat's His. But if an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without what? Raising questions on the ground of conscience. Don't ask. If someone says to you, this has been offered to a sacrifice, then what are you supposed to do? You can't eat it. Said, brother, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't eat it. Represents my soul and nature. It represents people that I still know. I can't. I can't eat it. Do not eat it for the sake of the one who's informed you, and the sake of conscience. What should be our thought? Then I will eat it. I won't, he was not going to eat it. Then I'm not going. Why? Because I don't want to offend him. Yes. It's about offending the other one. Yes. I didn't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? So whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, do all to the glory of God. Right? You can eat it. You can do it. If your conscience is seared about this, if your conscience bothers you about this, don't eat it. Back to our text. What does that have to do anything with this text? Because we were talking about legalism. Give me ten minutes and I'll finish. Talk about legalism. Conviction, legalism, it's conviction that law-keeping is now the ground of my acceptance with God. That's what legalism says. How do I get God to be for me and not against me by keeping the law? 
Romans 3, Galatians 2. We get God to be for us. God becomes our friend when we measure up by keeping the law. Words, Melody doesn't. But said, see, I'm more holy. God's more happy with me wearing a dress than he used with you wearing pants. That's not true. That's legalism. That's what that says. That's what legalism, spirit of legalism, is the spirit of life that flow from a, a failure to be humbly broken, amazed, and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. In other words, you're saying God's grace is not sufficient. It's not enough. It's, it's that plus something. And Paul's saying it's not. It's not plus anything. It's complete in Christ. You're His. I'll use the word. You're adopted. Yes. You're one of His own. Legalism promotes biblical, unbiblical standards and brings us as a self-authority. If we elevate anything above Christ, we're saying that our salvation in Christ is not complete. You, you need more. You can't eat or drink. You've got to do Sundays like I do them. You've got to wear the clothes that I wear. You've got you to sing the music. If you've you got a band up here, you're not godly. I've heard it. You're not wearing a suit and tie. I happen to be doing it today, but... Does that make me more godly? No. You got tattooed, you're ungodly. I've heard people say it. If you don't homeschool your kids or you don't send them to Christian school or if you send them to public school, you're in God. It's not true. See, legalism promotes performance, self-righteousness. Legalism says I do or I don't do. The gospel says I can't do, but Christ did it all for me. Legalism promotes earning and keeping God's pleasure barred upon, bared upon what I do or don't do. I cut a deal with Christ. That's what I'm doing. You're buying Him off. I did it. You don't have a certain amount of time in devotions and you take a test, the reason you failed is because you didn't have X number of time in devotions. Show me that in the Bible. You don't preach out of this King James only 1611 Bible, which they don't have, by the way. Then you're not saved. There are a group of people that believe, unless you're saved out of the King James Bible, you're a lost person. I don't know what they do with Paul, right. but evidently he's lost. And everybody before 1611 is going to hell. Right? This is absurd. Legalism, see very quickly, promotes division. Yes. It splits churches over Bibles and pants and earrings and music and we don't and all the garbage that goes in there. And I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. Legalism believes the prize is the one through personal exertion and see who is be on their way of this prize, not as people to be served, but as obstacles to be removed. Legalism is after a divine favor, not after Christ alone. 
And legalism demotes Christ. Legalism, I've got four minutes and I'll just introduce it. Legalism is an issue that something goes off inside of you. You've got some, you got some, some pants, whatever it is, and you confront it and an alarm goes off in you. You know this alarm? You're about to do something and the alarm goes off. That's your conscience. Your conscience is firing. What is the conscience? That's the question. What is the conscience? Because we've got to know that if we're going to talk about legalism and being offended, what's offending is the alarm going off in you, this conscience issue that's in you that's going off, this alarm system. It's a warning. It's not supernatural. It's not necessarily the Lord speaking. It's something in you that's going off. It's not divine. It's like pain. Pain is not the pain. Pain is telling you there is a problem. And you need to find out what the problem is. You found out the pain was a cause of a problem that had to be fixed, right? Melody found out the pain was a, had to be a problem. It wasn't the, there wasn't the pain. We could stop the pain. But you've got to find out. I can give you enough drugs. I can, stop, I can kill you to stop the pain, right? We've got to find out what the problem is. What, what is why is the pain monitor going off? Why is the conscience thing going off? Well, we find out in Romans 2, everybody has this. But you can sear your conscience. You can melt it. Everybody knows at some degree what is right and what is wrong. Romans 2 says God's written it upon their hearts, the things that are right and wrong. It is the capacity that God gives to man to know the difference between right and wrong. But it's that warning device. MacArthur, in his series on the conscience, gives this illustration that I think it was 1972 or something, there was a plane and it was flying and the alarm went off and said, pull up, pull up, pull up, terrain, 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 pull up, pull up, pull up. And the pilot didn't listen. In fact, he, what he said on the voice recorder was, shut up, gringo, and he turned it off. And two seconds later, right in the side of a mountain. Killed all 200 people on board. Sometimes our conscience is doing that. It's responding. The, the alarm isn't the issue. The alarm's going off because it's received information that is told by the radar something's wrong. You've got to pay attention. Alarm, alarm, alarm. And what we do is God's doing that and you're looking at something or you're seeing something and that alarm's going off. Don't look, don't look, don't look. And you keep looking. Yeah. Or you keep doing. This conscience is a response to information. Pull up, pull up, pull up. But where does the information come from? Well, some of it is on the conscience. God hardwired it into the conscience. The other part of it is taught. Some of it's caught. And some of it's experienced. All go to form this thing that your conscience, the, the information part of your conscience, it searches those files for something and determines this is a problem. Stop, stop, stop. Pull up, pull up, pull up. 
three things and I'll give you a quick. Here's the thing about conscience. Even ours. Our conscience can be one of three things if it's a problem. One, it can be over-informed. In other words, according to Mark, I think it's Mark 7, Matthew 15, where Jesus says, you're teaching as doctrine the traditions of men. Okay? You're teaching as doctrine, you've pulled something out that God did not intend to be how you live necessarily, and you raised it to this standard that this is now doctrine. It's over-informed. Got way too much information. You're trying to wait. You're trying to take us back to the Old Testament. Okay, you need all your kids in pants, or, you, or you, we're all going to ride burdens of beast or whatever it is, because we want to. We want to revert back because God says we need to act like His old people in the past, and therefore you're, you've been over-informed. It can be under-informed. You, you don't know the Scripture. This is the person that comes to Christ. He's never been to church a day in his life. And he comes sauntering in, in his flip-flops and shorts, and he just got saved yesterday. He don't know anything about church. He just comes in. He's just, you invited him. He's accepted the Lord. He tells him what's coming. He comes walking in with his tattoos showing, his long hair and his beard, and he stinks, and his feet stink, and he walks in. He don't know anything. Don't judge him. He doesn't know. How many of you started out your Christianity and the Lord has helped you gain a conscience that helps, has been now well taught? Yeah, that's the way it goes. How many of us started out in our Christian life even raising some things up, i.e., us, me and her? I mean, we were there with that pants thing. We raised it up here, and through the time, the Lord has continued to drop this down. So, you know what? Yeah, quit doing that. When. Well, women shouldn't be wearing, wearing men's clothes in the Old Testament. That's what it says. Well, that's true, but that ain't what he's talking about. Pastor Mike had an interview with the church just years ago. And I mean, they drilled him for two hours. And finally, one guy says, What do you think about pants on women? He said, About like I do Jesus wearing a dress. By today's standards, what did Jesus wear? He wore a dress by today's standards. What was Mike saying? This is a cultural issue. Now, is there modest and immodest dress? Sure. Proverbs talks about she had the attire of a harlot. You know it when you see it. Yes. Like, the, like the Supreme Court judge who says, I can't define pornographer for you, but when I see it, I know what it is. Right? So it can be underinformed. Lastly, it can be wrongly informed. That ain't what the Bible says. You're supposed to preach from the King James Bible. Show me that in the Bible. Well, it says right here, preach the Word. Well, it says that one in mine too. What you do with this? Okay. So we lift things up. We start judging people based on the Bible. I mean, Alan, speaking on people, Alan said he went and visited a church up the mountains and he had a what kind of Bible do you have? Amplified. He made sure he covered up when he opened the book. He's covering that thing up. Well, they were, I mean, they had, they had Confederate flags on the wall. And, 
pictures of dead people. They evidently brought the other Bibles in there that they put up on the walls. They were covering it up. It's just ridiculous. I had a lady, this is when we were meeting in the Chamber of Commerce, came up. She said, you didn't preach out of King James Bible. I said, no, ma'am, but it's not, it's not an issue. I just, it's not an issue. I'm great. That's great. Great. In fact, it's by, by the way, I just told you, the second most popular Bible in here is King James Bible. That's great. Wonderful. Okay? It's just not an issue. Well, don't you think? Don't think. I just do. Well, don't you want to argue about it? No. Right. Right. I am not going to cause division over it. And if I hear you causing division over it, I will skin your hide. <laughs> it's not. Don't judge people. Don't judge them. Listen, just like when we were saved and we had convictions that were way up here and it's time God taught us and you get down and you go, you know what? There are some great people who have long hair and tattoos and they love Jesus. I met a guy up at uh, Mark Devers at Capitol Hill Baptist. One of the conferences, Bob and I went up to it. And there was a guy, I don't think you could have got another tattoo on him. And here he is at church thing, and he's wearing a shirt with no sleeves on it. Got chains around him. His hair's long. I mean, you couldn't have put another dot on him. I just... And then we sat in Devers' house, and we went around and introduced ourselves. And God had saved him. I mean, he was built up. I mean, he was buff, man. He had more space than I have to put test tubes. I mean, this big guy out here. You know. He owned the gym. God saved him. And now his church is filled with weightlifters who come to know the Lord. And he said, you know what, Eric? They wouldn't listen to you. They wouldn't. What do you know? They listen to him. Don't judge. Father, we thank you. Father, we just, just talked this morning about the truth Father, I pray nobody puts us under an undue burden, an undue yoke, because we've been adopted by Christ. We're complete. I'm His to the point that I cry, Abba, Father. I'm an heir and a joint heir with His Son. Father, forgive us where we've judged people. Forgive us where we've put undue burdens on others. While this is not to say we shouldn't have standards and not, not dress appropriately and act appropriately, it's not what it's talking about. But it is talking about judging. And these false teachers were coming into Corinth and putting an extra burden on these people. And Paul was setting them free. Father, do that in our own lives to the praise and honor of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're dismissed. Get ready to...